listen, we are, we are moving back to Greece today. I, I wrote you guys an email about that yesterday. We're coming back to 1 Corinthians. We're coming back to a culture that is so much like our own and so much increasingly like our own. It's, it's uh, to put this in very um, astute language, it's crazy. <laughs> how similar I see more and more the parallels between what these folks, this church was going through, how this church was living, what we're, what we're living in. So today we're coming back to 1 Corinthians. We took a long, many months break to do a, f- a series on forward vision and to do a series on Easter. Um, and now we're coming back to 1 Corinthians 6. So today we're gonna jump right back kind of where we left off and I'll explain how we're gonna do that and still try to be a little bit broad and gentle about it. But, um, but I wanna start this morning with a little little uh, story from my life. In my parents' home, we grew up with a Steinway upright piano. We put it up back here, there it is. Now that's not the exact one, but that's what it looked like. That's what it looks like. I loved this piano. I I learned to play a few songs on it. Uh, My father could play beautifully. And I loved it so much. I loved it for what it means about my dad, what it meant about my family, what it meant about my home. I mean, just looking at that piano, That's what I saw for years and years and years every day of my life, right in the middle of the living room. Beautiful, beautiful piano. Um, When we were trying to execute my dad's estate after my dad went to God in December of of last year, I I came to the house and one day uh, I sat down at the piano and it was badly beaten up in some places. I mean, I don't think I I understood even when I was a kid growing up, it needed a lot of repair. But when I saw it for the first time in a long time, took a good look at it, it was really out of tune in places. Some of the keys were just depressed and couldn't lift. Um, but w- where I played it, where it could be played, I just couldn't believe how good it sounded. I mean, it was, it was, it was obviously a beautiful instrument, and it was still saying, I'm a beautiful instrument, when you played it in the right places. There were a few weeks in the executive you know, executing the estate situation. My sister was the executor. There were a few weeks where I possibly could have tried to work with her to get the piano. But it looked like so much work. How to pay for all of the repairs, how to pay for getting it moved out to our house, what to do with the little, the Yamaha that we have right now. Um, and the estate people did not value it very much. And, and I just, in, in, in the mix of so many things going on with that whole situation, uh, I, I just, couldn't work it out. My, my sister Molly, though, found someone eventually who wanted to restore it. It was precious to this lady. She came, she saw it, she said, I will take care of it, I will get it back into shape. And I have no idea if Molly sold it to her or gave it to her as a gift. Um, but afterwards, just to understand what was going on with that piano, after something my sister had said to me about its value, which I kind of couldn't believe, I looked online about what that kind of piano you know, in good shape would be worth, and it, it, it could have been something that might go for something around 40 grand new, which is crazy. So I, I, I now know that I didn't esteem that piano uh, quite as highly as I should have, both for uh, the, the memories that since I've been thinking about the piano, it's, it's bled into me as I had to see it go into someone else's hands. Those memories became more powerful. And, and it's real music value, you know, as reflected in the cost. And I'd be lying if I didn't tell you that if I could go back, I would really consider doing what I could to bring that sweet piano into my home. Not to sell it, but to be able to see it, enjoy it, have my children learn how to play piano on it, and someday give it to them. I'm a little bit heartbroken that it's gone and that I can't give that, what was given to me by my father, give that to my kids in terms of their experience, that beautiful instrument. But someone else has it now, 
And the good news is it belongs to someone who knows its worth. And because they know its worth, they're going to treat it accordingly. It's in the hands of somebody who knows its worth. And because they know its worth, they're going to treat it accordingly. Can you kind of get where I'm going here? God has given you something infinitely more precious than a Steinway piano. He has given you a body. Eyes and ears, skin, bones, a mind, a heart that is holy to him. He has placed his spirit inside it and made it his own home. He has united that spirit with his spirit and you are now joined to Jesus Christ. He calls it his body now. Your body, he calls his body. His bride, one with him. He cares about it. He nourishes it. He cherishes it. Even as it gets old, even as it grows weary and weak and goes into the dirt, he will not forget your body. It is sacred to him. He will raise it. He will raise it new in resurrection, more glorious, more powerful, more beautiful than you could imagine right now. And he will enjoy it and cause you to enjoy your body forever. And now, in the prelude to all that, in light of all that preciousness that it is to him, he calls you to this glorious life of holy love for him, using your body, using your hands, your eyes, your ears, your mind. And if you're going to live that life of holy love that he calls you to, that life for him and for others that you've been called to live out in this body he's given you, you must view your body and your life as he views your body and your life as sacred, as holy. If you're going to live the life that he's called you to live, a life of love, holy love for him and others, you must view your body as he views it, as sacred and precious. So let's read our passage this morning with all that in mind. Brando, it should be up. Is it up? Okay, let's go to all things. Oh, it's back. It's up there. It's not back there. I'm sorry. I'm used to seeing it behind you. Okay, can we say this together? All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Yet the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise up us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Amen. Lord, bless these words. Lord, 
Fill them with life. Fill them with power. God, we know that we can't receive your words just by hearing them with our physical ears. We need your Holy Spirit to cause our physical ears to be vessels for our spiritual ears, to be hearing and transformed by your word. Use it this morning to do that, Lord. Bless your people. We put our hope in your new mercies and your unfailing love through Christ Jesus, our Lord, given over to us so that this morning we might receive for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now, listen, our passage this morning, you'll, you'll notice that I left certain things out of it that we'll get to um, more deeply soon. But our passage this morning is specifically dealing with the issue of sexual immorality in Corinth in and through the bodies of these Corinthians. And in the next few weeks, we're gonna talk about sexuality, we're gonna talk about our culture, we're gonna talk about marriage and husbands and wives and all that stuff. But as we re-enter the world of 1 Corinthians, I sense that it would be wise this morning to have a sort of more broad re-entry by touching on a couple of themes represented in this text that weave themselves really throughout the entire book. They are great themes. They relate to our lives every day, to our sexuality, but to so much more as well. So in, in our message this morning, we're going to look at the text to really catalyze, take us to two big points uh, that Paul is, is talking about in this text, but talks about really throughout the whole book specifically. And these, these two points are this. Love is the purpose of our redemption. The reason why Christ purchased us and bought us is so that we might love. That's the freedom he purchased for us. Love is the purpose of our redemption. And the second point we'll talk this morning is that holiness is the truth of our condition. Holiness is the truth of our condition. We are holy. And if we're gonna live the life of love God's called us to, we have to call ourselves holy. Holiness is the truth about us. That is who we are if we're in Christ Jesus. We are holy. So love is the purpose of our redemption. It's the reason why we're saved and live. And to holiness is the truth of our condition. We are truly, because of Jesus Christ, sacred and holy. And we have to see that and believe and stand on that if we're to live that life of love. So first, love is the purpose for which Christ has purchased us. Verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. In quotes, Paul says, all things are lawful for me. What's he doing? Well, he's quoting a slogan used among the Corinthians. And it may have been a slogan they developed from Paul's own gospel proclamation. And it's now being twisted around. See, listen, Paul was always and everywhere proclaiming the inability of the law, the moral commands of God alone, to save us or to allow us to walk with God. The law, as God's commandment, Paul knew could only identify our sin and condemn us for it. It could not save us. It could not transform us. You command anyone to live by the laws of God, to love him with all they are and to love their neighbor as themselves, command anyone to do that without the gospel, without the Holy Spirit, and all you do is you take a drowning man and you chain a huge, thick, metal chain around his leg with a 5,000 pound weight on it and eventually drown him deeper in sin and in condemnation. That's what the law can do, Paul tells us. But what about somebody who has the Holy Spirit, who is full of the Holy Spirit and who is walking by the Holy Spirit? Of that person's life, you will only see the fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
And Galatians 5 tells us the fruit of the Holy Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Woo! And then Paul finishes that beautiful named fruit by saying, against such things there is no law. Against those things, there's no law. In another place, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, the law is not for the righteous, but for the lawless. Paul doesn't mean that a genuinely born-again Christian does not need to pay attention to God's word or commandments. I mean, in this chapter, first chapter that we're coming back to, chapter six, if we look back a few verses, we'll see that Paul just got done telling the Corinthians that anyone who says they're a Christian who lives a life of unrepentant sin will go to hell. Paul just told the Corinthians that. So he would hardly have spent so much time exhorting, commanding, even sometimes warning God's people if he thought God's commands were pointless. But what Paul means here and what he means in Galatians about all things are lawful for me is that a person who is truly walking, controlled by the Holy Spirit does not need the law to threaten him externally. When that person already longs to do what God wants, when that person is already by the Holy Spirit empowered to do what, the God, what God wants inside them, that, that, and that's what the law is pointing to, love, they don't need the threat of the law. And so, in one sense, for the believer who is full of the Spirit and walking by the Spirit, yes, all things are lawful. Because whatever they do full of the Spirit, the fruit of their life is gonna be lawful. It will spring from a heart of love, and that's the height of the law, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills all the law and the commandments. And this is what Augustine meant when St. Augustine said, I don't know, 1,700 years ago, love God and do what you will. Love God and do what you will. But the Corinthians were hearing this idea another way a way that was infected by their culture that is so much like our culture. Their culture prized independence and autonomy and self-rule and the freedom to do whatever they thought was right. They could define their identities. They could define their purposes. And they wanted to live unconstrained by the laws of others put on them. And so some were taking the gospel and they were mixing it up with this self-determination, this freedom to be autonomous and independent and whoever you wanted to be and ultimately do whatever you wanted to do. And they were saying, look, even Paul says we're not under the law anymore. The law can't save us. We don't live by the law. We can live however we want. And to this, the Lord interjects through the Holy Spirit, through his apostle here. Whoa, hold on a second. All things may be lawful if you ask the question, What's helpful? All things might be lawful, Paul says, but is it helpful? In other words, does what you want to do hurt others or benefit others? Does it pass the test of love? The only true way to be free, to do whatever you please and still please God, is to ask, is this loving? Will this hurt or will this bless? Now, listen, please don't hear what I'm not saying. I, you know, a preacher can't preach every truth every week. There are all kinds of enjoyments God wants for you. Pleasures God wants for you. Chicken wings, sleep, a glass of wine, sexual immorality, 
<laughs> not sexual morality, sexual intimacy with your spouse. God made these things food, sleep, music, sex to be enjoyed by his people. God gives us these gifts to enjoy because he is loving. I remember as a young Christian being confused, reading, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. And I mean, I just was like, could I, can I, how do I eat a cheeseburger for the glory of God? Lord, I don't care what this cheeseburger does to me, means for me. I only eat this cheeseburger for you. Yes, it tastes good, but I'm ignoring that. This cheeseburger is all for you, Lord, all for you. The bacon is really good. Get away from me, good tasting bacon. I eat this for the Lord only and his pleasure only. I mean, it's crazy, right? <laughs> but that's how crazy I was in the Lord. I, I mean, actually, that didn't last very long, by the way. I mean, it, it, I never actually went there. I just thought something's really wrong here. <laughs> like, like, I gotta put this book down. Like, this guy's gotta take it easy and enjoy himself. I can't remember who it was, but it was a great guy, you know? It was just like, but help me out here. Aren't cheeseburgers to be enjoyed? And, and so, yes, and that's how they glorify God. <laughs> that's how they glorify God, right? John Piper's great syllogism. It's not Piper's alone. It it's comes from the Westminster Catechism, but, and probably from Augustine too. The chief end of man is to enjoy God and glorify him forever. So I can eat a cheeseburger to the glory of God if God gets glory for me enjoying the great food he made. I can thank him for that. Three cheeseburgers in one sitting? I'd better check how my, my frame is. You know, if I'm seven feet six and I got a big game, maybe. But I, I probably can't thank him in my present state for three, three, three cheeseburgers. I probably got to ask his forgiveness for that. But within common sense, we eat for God's glory. We sleep for God's glory. We enjoy music for God's glory. We, if we're able to, we have sexual intimacy in, in the context of our marriage for God's glory. And we can thank him for that and glorify him for that. But, but see, it's possible on the other side of this, after a long day, it's possible for me every day to come home from a hard day at work or maybe not hard enough day at work and say, I'm not under law. I'm not earning my salvation here. I'm a saved man. I don't need to give my life to my kids right now. I'm tired. I don't need to prepare my heart to be patient with my wife and pour into her and see how I can help her. I'm wiped out. I've been trying to pour myself out for the church today. It's time for my rest. And, and I'm gonna once again sit in front of this television on this sofa with several, several beautiful bowls of cereal and binge watch my show all night because Netflix allows me to binge watch now, which I could never do growing up. And I've wondered what family ties looks like now after so many years. And, there's family ties, I can just get it. Or facts of life, oh, I can pull up facts of life after all these years. A taxi, there it is. I can just binge. Regardless of what such a lifestyle might do to those God has called me to, I, I can be under the impression that all things are lawful for me. If I'm not stealing a car or selling drugs, I'm not under law, I'm under grace. And I don't have to think about what's going on in the hearts of my kids or my wife. And that's just a lie. That's not 
what this freedom in Christ I have is for. That's not, that's not what the freedom of the law is supposed to be about. Yes, Christ has moved his people from a Mosaic covenant with 630 plus some laws to keep track of about shellfish and phylacteries and your clothing and the ceremonies and the feasts. He's gotten rid of all that. He's fulfilled it all and he's brought us into a new covenant in which the only way to live is by faith in his forgiveness and under the empowerment of the indwelling spirit and the outward word commandment alone will never will never satisfy our hearts for what he's made for us to do which is to know him inside and live out him into the world and none of that is a license to live how i want in myself but a power to to want to live for him and to want to live for others and the power to do it that's what the new covenant is about The Spirit puts it this way in Galatians 5 through Paul. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. You were called to freedom. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. That's what the Holy Spirit frees us to do. He does it. He frees us to love And then Paul says the whole law is filled up in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Just a little aside here. When I hear the word law, I can cringe. Law just sounds so threatening and so oppressive. It means love. It means love. It means love. (laughs) But that doesn't change the fact that I cannot do it without Jesus Christ and without his spirit. It just makes it even more clear when I really try, how much I need him. And then he comes through and he helps again and again and again. And so Paul says, yes, in a sense, all things are lawful if they fulfill the law of love. If we're gonna keep in step with the spirit, if we want his companionship, if we want his power to keep flowing unhindered in us, we must be placing our decisions before him. We must be asking him to lead us. And he's a good God. He's a good God, and he has good things for us. He has good things for others through us, and he still loves to give. Last night, we were at the pool, and I wanted uh, a pizza. I wanted a gourmet pizza from Aroma House with green peppers and sausage and pepperoni and onions and mushrooms and bacon and... um, but I, 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 just, I just felt like, is this okay? Because sometimes I bring these things to God in my spirit and I ask him and I just have a sense, it's, tonight's not the night or you've spent a lot of money. Things start occurring to me about what is helpful or what's not helpful for my family or for my situation. And I just, I'm trying by his grace to bring these things more and more to him more regularly each day, these different, trusting that he's good, he's kind, he's generous, he's wise. As Kevin talked about two weeks ago, he's gentle and humble. His yoke is easy, his burden is light. And, and last night I did it, I, I was like, I want to get this piece, and I just stopped. I said, wait a second, I, I, Lord, what do you want for dinner tonight? <laughs> like, is this too much money? It was going to be $20 or something like that. And the kids, and we, we had chicken in the fridge, and salad. And, and I, I think I'm growing maybe a little bit and being able to hear his voice and being able to hear him say no, or say okay, or say not yet, or say yes. And I just kind of took that risk that he's good, and he can be trusted, and he can help. And this might sound silly to you, but my God is a God of the big and the small. And I just felt like he said, 
in the context of this message, remember, I gave you things to enjoy. I gave you freedom to enjoy things. Go get a pizza. Enjoy it with your kids. And so I got that pizza last night. And it was so fun. But it was so much more fun to realize this is from my father in heaven who loves me. He, he gave me these green peppers and these mushrooms and these, this bacon and this sausage. And sorry what I might be doing to some of you guys right now. We'll eat in a little bit. But he's good. He can be trusted. So yes, all things are lawful for me. But Paul says next, in the next passage, next phrase, I will not be dominated by anything. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. I will not be dominated by anything. Now Paul deals with another aspect of this freedom we have from the law. And the question he raises now isn't, is it helpful? But in keeping with that, is, is who is in control? All things are lawful, but who's in control? Food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Yet the body is not meant for sexual morality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord will also raise us up by his power. The Corinthians had heard this philosophy. Hey, if your body wants it, your body was made for it, give it to your body. You have a right to it. Why have a stomach if you're not going to fill it with food? That's what the stomach is for. That's what food is for. Why have sexual desires if you aren't going to fulfill them? That's what they're for. If you want something, you were made for that. And this has such relevance to us today in our self-determination culture, in our culture where, especially in matters of sexuality, if, if that is what I want, then I have a right to that. And no one can tell me that I don't have a right to it. As long as it's consensual, if I'm a man who wants a woman before marriage and she wants me before marriage, who, who has a right to tell me not that that's not okay? If I'm a man who wants that other man before marriage, who, no one has a right to tell me that that's not okay. I was made for that. I was born this way, right? And into that closed system, into that closed circle where my desires and the fulfillment of my desires wait. Where my appetites and the food for my appetites call, Paul cries out through the Holy Spirit, wait, <laughs> wait. There is someone you're forgetting. Of course God made the stomach for food. Of course God made food for the stomach. Of course God made sexual desires for intimacy, and intimacy is made to fulfill sexual desire. But all of it, all of it is for something else. All of it is for someone greater, something greater. All of it is for God. It's all for God. Your stomach has a higher calling than spaghetti. Your self-identity, your gender choice has a higher calling than self-determination. You have a calling as a creature created by a God who is determined who you should be and who you are. Your desires for intimacy have a greater calling simply than sexual fulfillment when you want it, the way you want it. You are created for more than that. You are created for something so much greater than that. 
You are created for your holy God. And so, so Paul presents another test to our freedoms. Is God Lord over your appetites? Or are your appetites Lord over you? All things are lawful for me, he says, but I will not be dominated by anything. And this is a powerful principle we saw in Romans 6 a few weeks ago. Anything in our lives, be it inherently good in and of itself, like food or sports or music, or something more obviously bad like illicit images or illegal drugs, when it begins to control us, to command us, it becomes our God. It becomes our master. We become its slave. It becomes our Lord. No matter what we say about how we feel about Jesus Christ, when things not Jesus Christ begin to tell us, we must have them. And listen, use common sense here. I'm not talking about water after five days of not having a sip of water. God will ordain that your body will cry out unless he miraculously intervenes. I must have water. But Paul is saying here, I will not use my freedom in such a way, I will not use my freedom in such a way that I begin to become controlled by anything but the Holy Spirit. I'm not gonna do it. I might desire sexual intimacy, but I will not let it be my God. And so God asks us, will you obey that desire even if it means you cannot obey me? Then it's your God now and not me. Will you obey that desire even if it means you can't obey me? Then it's your God because that's what being a God means. It means lordship, ruling, worship. I might desire sleep, but will I disobey God by lashing out at my kids or my wife when they don't give it to me? Then in that moment, sleep is my master, not Jesus. It's my Lord, not Jesus. I heard a great syllogism. Something becomes your master when you sin to get it or sin because you don't get it. Something other than God becomes your master when you sin to get it or sin because you don't get it. So Paul says, use your freedom to love others and love your God. And, and then he gives us, he cascades over us. So we're gonna come back to this over the next few weeks because it's so important. Like that song we sang, like Jared said, it's so important to not just only see ourselves as sinners, but to see ourselves as Paul calls us so often, often through the Holy Spirit. He calls us saints. He calls us holy ones. We're not doing any, God any favors if we erase saints every time we see it in the bible and put in sinners see we don't we don't help god by by functionally changing what his message is about who we are to us we make it harder for his work to be done in our hearts and so paul pours these incredible truths over us meant to wake us up meant to shock us meant to inspire us meant to fill us with a new desire to carry out this life of love he's calling us to he's about to pour on dynamite power over us he is going to tell us in several ways live a life of holy love because you are holy because you are holy live a life of holy love because you belong to a god of holy love because you've been purchased by a god of holy love because inside you is the god of holy love and because of that you are holy 
And if your eyes are open to it, what's so beautiful is this is so often the way that Paul, through the Holy Spirit, seeks to modify, mo- modify, <laughs> justify, and motivate. I just put it, I just made a new word. That sounds like it should have been a word. Oh, thank you. Some clapping. We're going to get modified this morning. This is the way Paul seeks to motivate and justify our behavior. He says again and again, be this way because you are this. We are holy, so we should live holy. What an unspeakable dignity and privilege God clothes us with here. Just listen. Listen to what he says about you and me. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Let me say this again, because I I think I need to hear this question myself. I think you need to hear this question. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. Oh God, I can't, through the Holy Spirit, make this amazing. I mean, I can't in myself, except for the Holy Spirit, make this truth amazing. But this truth is amazing. Please let it be amazing to us. Please open our eyes to let it see. And if there are those in this room who don't have these truths true about themselves, make them want it. Make them see it and long for it and want it until they ask you for it, until they have it. Brothers and sisters, this isn't just supposed to be like exegetical theology reading for today. Like Paul is crying out to these people who are being drowned in a culture that was lying to them and enslaving them. And he's saying to them, don't you know who you are? Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you. Remember that temple we've, I've told you about, Paul says, or maybe some of you worshiped in for and your family for hundreds of years in Jerusalem, this gigantic, beautiful, golden building where only the high priest could go in only once a year, and the whole nation was set up around this temple and its worship and animals killed, and then Jesus came and he was so zealous for the temple, he, he turned over tables and his only violent acts and all of the gospels with anger and wrath because his temple was being threatened with hypocrisy. God's own glory came and sat on top of the temple and then moved into the temple. It was the greatest day in the history of Israel when God himself came to live within the temple of his people and be with those people. The highest experience they could have had this side of the cross. This side of Pentecost, rather. And Paul is saying, don't you know that's you now? Don't you know that's you now? That's you now. You're the temple in Jerusalem. You're this golden building costing billions of dollars and taking years to make and being one of the seventh wonders of the world in its time or something like that. It's you now, church. That's you, Josh Govan. That's you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit from 
God, you were bought with a price. Glorify God in your body. What intimacy with God is portrayed here? Your body, Paul says, is meant for the Lord. He created it for his enjoyment and his joy and your glory and and his satisfaction. Your body, your eyes, your ears, your mind, it's deeply meaningful to him. I haven't looked at my little kids' bodies the same way since I started grappling with this text this week. John Christopher was in bed the other day. I just looked at his little calf. That little boy's getting so big, this beautiful little leg. So beautiful. God's just designing this incredible thing. And it's just grown before my eyes. I mean, you guys, you know, have kids. You watch your kids grow. It's just like, this is amazing. God says that body's meant for me. I'm for that body. The Lord is for your body. He made it with devotion and care. We all know Psalm 139, fearfully and wonderfully made. He's not kidding. He cares about what's going on inside your body right now with that little boy, Laura. He is doing that work. Fearfully and wonderfully, he is for it. It might now, for you guys outside the womb a while, it might be getting old. It might be ravaged by the fall. It might be like my father-in-law, looking really, really sick. Really, really sick. Skin and bones it might look like right now. It's precious to him. It doesn't matter. He will raise us up by his power. My God says to the ravaged body, I will raise up that body with my power. So much so that he will raise its spectacular glory with such beauty. Sooner than we can understand, it's coming back. That Jesus could say to the disciples, they'll cut off your heads thinking they're serving God but not a hair on your head will be numbered, will be lost because I care about every hair on your head. I'm gonna raise it all back up. It's so precious to me. God sees the day when your body will be raised in unfathomable beauty and power but he loves your body now in its pre-resurrection state. You might, you might not see it the way he sees it but he calls you to. Even before that day of resurrection, he's dignified your body. He's made it sacred. He's put his very spirit in you. You were bought with a price, Paul says. His son's precious blood. You belong to the holy God of the universe, Christian. You are his property. That makes you exceptionally sacred. It makes you exceptionally holy. Is it hard to hear that? Like, I'm exceptionally sacred and holy. Does it feel arrogant or presumptive? Well, what if I tell you you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? Now what are you gonna say about your body? What if I tell you that you are united with Christ and that your body is his, his body, that it's his members, that your eyes are his eyes? Does that feel, do you feel arrogant now or do you feel humbled? (laughs) You should feel humbled, right? You should be able to start taking into your heart what God says about you. You belong to him. You are his property. He paid for you. He lives inside you. He is for your body. He's gonna raise your body. Your body is holy. That's part of why you're called a saint, which means in the Greek, hold on, this is very difficult exegesis. It means holy. You are a saint. We've lost what that word means. It just means holy one, holy one, 
Same Greek word for holy is used for saint. I used to know that word, agiagabada. I can't remember it anymore. So listen, what are we gonna do now, right? Are we gonna take this body and hand it over to slavery and filth to serve sin? Shall we, shall we make Jesus' eyes look at ugly stuff, look at immoral stuff? Should we make his tongue yell at our kids or gossip and slander about others? Should we keep his mouth silent when encouragement and hope are needed? Should we let his hands steal from our employers by laziness at work? Or maybe more quietly, way less dramatically, shall our bodies, his body, be given over slowly to addictions, to the internet, to phone screens, to gaming, to TV shows, to Facebook, Again, common sense, I'm not saying those things are inherently bad, but these things are real threats. They do control us, they do become our masters. They do breed laziness and apathy and indifference to a world that needs Jesus in me. To a home and kids and a wife that need Jesus in me, I'm saying to myself. So should we take our holiness, given as a gift from Jesus, and hand it over to slavery, to filth and waste? No, Paul says. Paul says, no, don't sell out when something so much more is at stake. Jesus has made you a Steinway, and he wants to play the most beautiful music on your keys. He has made you in him, in him, in him. Take it, believe it, hold on to it. It's not pride to say, in him, I am an instrument of incredible worth of precious worth. I am his new creation, his masterpiece. I am his holy one. I am his sacred body. These hands are his. I am his bride, one with him, nourished and cherished. To the Colossians, Paul says, you are chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. To all of us here, he says, you are my temple where I live by my spirit. You are one with me now. You are my very own body. You are my hands. You are my legs. You are my eyes. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. I poured out my blood, not just to forgive you, but to cover you with honor and dignity and a sacred call to use these eyes I gave you for me and this mouth and this tongue to use for love for me and love for others. Yes, to eat cheeseburgers if you can handle it but to say words of uplift and not tear down. Brothers and sisters, we're holy because of him. We're sacred because of him. We're gonna be raised because of him. He is for your body. We're blood-bought temples of the spirit. We're new creations and filled with his spirit. We can and we must live holy lives. If we're gonna live holy lives, we must believe these things. We must believe these things. Can I ask the band to come up and just play a little bit behind me? I'm gonna ask you guys to spend a few minutes reflecting on a couple of things. Two questions I have, I'm just gonna leave them up here. We can just vamp on G, who you say I am. We can vamp instrumentally for a little bit before we sing, but let's put these two questions up here. Brando, you should have, oh, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting, I'm looking for him back there. Are there ways that I'm not viewing myself as holy and sacred because of you, God, but I'm considering myself as worth less than what you say about me. 
Two, are there areas, I'm not living a holy life of love, but I'm controlled by things other than your spirit and I'm hurting others, hurting myself. And what I want you to do in this moment is I want you to, if the Lord convicts you or bring these things to light, I want you to just bring it to him and confess these things. Confess just means agree. It doesn't necessarily mean I demand that you have some incredibly emotional moment. (laughs) It starts with agreeing. Confessing that you are holy to him. You are sacred. You are his temple. You are one spirit with him. And he lives in you to empower you. That's why he came to live in you. So you could live out the life he's called you to. So ask him to help you. Believe what he says about you. And to live a life of holy love by his spirit's power. And and if you see areas where you know you're controlled right now by your appetites where you're mastered by things other than God, confess that to him. Agree with him about it and take his promise. Take his promise and wrap it around your heart. He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you because of Jesus' blood. 1 John 2, if you want to look at it for yourself, 1 John 1, 9... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. My little children, I write these things to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone sins, John says, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus the righteous. He is the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for not only our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. So bring it all to him this morning. Trust his promise to help you and fill you. Amen. Amen.